Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? Tell me everything. Well, okay. Thanksgiving was great. (laughs) (laughs) I did make your little um, brie with cranberry, fresh cream, or would you call it fresh? They weren't canned. I cooked well, them then they were fresh. on a pan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, but they came out of a bag. So even when the guy, when I was at Publix, I said, uh, where do I find, you know, uh, cranberries? And he showed them to me in a bag. And I was like, why did I think these were like loosey-goosey just lying around that I would get? <laughs> like, I clearly have no concept of how it works. But um, on with brie and on the little bread, the crostinis, as you say, and yes. they were so good. They were really good. Now, will I give up my canned cranberry sauce? Absolutely not. That is a staple and it deserves to be loved and respected on its own. But as an appetizer, I think the fresh stuff makes more sense on your crustini because it's just more pompous, to be quite honest. It's a little more (laughs) foofy. (laughs) How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. It was good. Um, My family has been sick, so we had a very quiet Thanksgiving at home, and I cooked a lot of food anyway, even though it was just us. And so that's been great because then I haven't had to cook again. So we've all just been eating leftovers and just doing what you do after Thanksgiving. But yeah, it's been great. And I mean, it was fine. I didn't mind it. We stayed home and watched TV all day and made yummy food and That was that. So yeah, nothing really exciting happened, but we did it. We celebrated Thanksgiving and we had turkey just like everybody else. So yeah. Yay. I know. I'm on my last day of turkey, but I save cranberry sauce to like put it each time because it's great with cranberry sauce. Otherwise I don't want it. So it just like I've gotten down to my last little tiny bit of each of those and that'll be my dinner tonight. And this is so many days of eating cranberry cranberry (laughs) sauce and turkey. No wonder I only eat it once a year. So yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I actually get really tired of the leftovers pretty quickly. So sometimes I'll eat Thanksgiving food maybe one other time after the first time. Right. And then I just use it as an excuse. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to save this for the kids so they have something to eat. And even yeah. they're like, <laughs> after like day three, they're like, we don't want to eat this stuff anymore. So yeah, so we've kind of reached that point. I think everything I have left in the refrigerator is probably just going to go straight in the trash can yeah, um, as yeah, soon as yeah. possible. So. <laughs> All right, so we'll get right into the episode this week. Sometimes when we research these episodes, we have the opportunity to learn more about topics that might typically not be involved with true crime. And this week we had that opportunity and we got to learn about the strange phenomenon called somnambulism, or as it's more commonly referred to, sleepwalking, which I guess I didn't realize sleepwalking had a scientific term, but 
that makes complete sense because <laughs> it is a it is an actual thing, uh, a medical right. thing. So it makes sense that it would have it's a real name. But it's a topic that sometimes is presented with humor, and you'll see sometimes in cartoons where this unsuspecting sleeping person gets up and does these silly things while they're completely unaware that they're doing them. And so some examples of this you might see are things like. They might raid the fridge or they might start even vacuuming the floor in their underwear at four o'clock in the morning. There are numerous crazy and sometimes really funny stories about sleepwalking. And it's easy to forget the topic itself actually is not very funny and it can sometimes lead to some pretty scary consequences. This week's story is about a terrifying sleepwalking episode that led to a brutal murder. But was it truly a sleepwalking nightmare or was it just a clever excuse for cold-blooded killing? Sleepwalking falls under a category of legitimate sleep disorders that commonly affects children, and it is actually thought that 29% of children are affected by sleepwalking at some point, which I've actually heard of. I have a few friends who have um, kids who have suffered with sleepwalking while they were children, and then they've gone on to grow out of it. My kids have never been sleepwalkers. We've never had not even one incident of sleepwalking here, but I imagine how like scary that can be if you have a young child. I just can't imagine like having to worry that your child is up roaming the house at night and you don't know yeah you're still everybody's asleep that is definitely a scary thing but usually as I said they do outgrow it by the age of 13. Research suggests that less than four percent of adults continue to have sleepwalking episodes and those who are affected commonly have other sleep disorders anxiety or depression. While there are plenty of harmless sleepwalking stories out there it's important to remember that sleepwalking is potentially dangerous and pretty terrifying for those who suffer from it. When a person has a sleepwalking episode, they are in a state somewhere between consciousness and being asleep. They are completely unaware of everything that they're doing and everything around them, but their actions are similar to those that they might make if they were truly awake. So for example, they might get up and walk around with their eyes open and even go about starting their typical daily routine, getting dressed or eating food, all while being technically asleep and unaware. And then when they wake up, they will have no memory of doing these things. Sleepwalking episodes typically last less than 10 minutes, but it's possible that it could go on for as much as 30 minutes or more. If the person is not interrupted, they will usually just go back to bed and go back to sleep on their own. But there are far worse things that sleepwalkers have to worry about than just eating all the cookies in the house. In some instances, people who are sleepwalking will try and succeed at doing tasks and activities that actually put themselves in danger, such as cooking with heat or leaving the house and driving a car, engaging in sexual behavior, falling or jumping from an elevated surface, and many more things. What's worse, if you attempt to wake a person while you're sleepwalking, you probably won't have a lot of success. In fact, attempting to wake somebody who is actively sleepwalking can actually trigger a violent response from them in which they begin to attack without realizing or being conscious of the fact that they are attacking. In extreme cases, some sufferers of sleepwalking have committed crimes during their episodes, including the violent crimes of rape, assault, and sometimes even murder. But what happens when sleepwalking becomes a murder defense? It definitely presents a problem for officers and prosecutors, because if a crime is committed by somebody who doesn't know they're committing a crime and they didn't make a conscious decision to commit that crime, then the question becomes, how do they prove that they were actually sleepwalking at the time of the crime and not just using it as a really clever defense? It was 1997 when one such instance of an alleged sleepwalking murder occurred in Phoenix, and the details of the story are pretty haunting. Scott and Yarmila Filater were far from being newlyweds at the time of our story. 
They'd met in high school and became each other's first real relationship. They eventually got married while they were in college, but by 1997, they already had 20 years under their belts. Scott was a really smart kid who kept to himself. He was the oldest of five children and grew up in a middle-class Catholic family. Although his daily life wasn't always great, his father was sometimes violent with his mom, Scott did really well in his studies and kept a keen sense of humor. Scott was an engineer for Motorola, and Yarmila was an assistant teacher in a preschool classroom. The nature of Scott's work was very stressful and demanding. It wasn't the type of job where you just put in 40 hours and then you're done. Scott would sometimes spend as many as 60 or 70 hours working to make deadlines. Their family was made whole with a son and daughter who were both teenagers and a golden retriever. They all lived together in a quiet neighborhood in Phoenix and lived a pretty average and ordinary life. The Philader family, and especially Scott, were deeply religious and devout members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Church. They lived modestly and plainly within their means and had a tight familial bond. Scott and the rest of the family were very active in the church, and those who knew the family said that Scott and Yarmila seemed to have a really great marriage. As far as anyone could tell, the couple really never fought, and they kept pretty quiet. Scott was seen as a loving and devoted husband and father, doing his very best to take care of his family and enjoying his life. So when the news broke in 1997 that there had been a terrible tragedy at the Flater home, it was a shock to everyone. In the middle of the night on January 16, 1997, Scott was awakened by officers inside of his home, and they were asking him how many people were inside the house. In this dazed and confused state, Scott told the officers that there were four people in the house. It was himself, his wife Yarmila, and their two teenagers. As Scott began to come to more, he became very confused and really surprised to see these police officers in his house, and with each passing minute, this horrifying story began to unfold. The officers actually didn't find Scott in his bed when they entered the house. They had been called to the residence by a concerned neighbor, and Scott was actually found wandering the house, seemingly unaware, when they first arrived. It was really a bizarre scene, but things took an even more unsettling turn when officers also found the bloodied body of Scott's wife, Yarmila, floating in the family's swimming pool. And although Scott had been found wandering the house, he appeared to have no idea that his wife was dead. While technicians worked to gather evidence from the scene, Scott was taken to the police station for questioning. Keep in mind, it was the middle of the night, so he was taken to the station just in his pajamas, and it was after 1 o'clock in the morning by the time he was placed in a room for questioning. When Detective John Norman sat down with him, Scott said, quote, I'm afraid that this means my wife is dead. The officer told him that she was, but that his son and daughter were safe and hadn't been harmed. Scott didn't really have much of an emotional response to the news that his wife had been killed. He did cry a little bit, but his reaction was pretty subdued, which of course can also be explained away by just being in a state of shock and not really understanding what's going on. But then the interview went in a different direction when Detective Norman asked Scott why he had done this. And he wanted to know, you know, in Scott's own words, what happened that night? Scott was very confused and he said, obviously you think I did it. I don't know what makes you think that. And the officer told him it was, quote, because I have a neighbor staring at you watching you do it. That's why. And we're going to get into so many more details of this case after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. (laughs) 
holidays might look a little different this year. Those gifts that are normally golden this time of year are really a no-go. There's no concerts to buy tickets for or movies open to buy gift cards for, but that doesn't mean there aren't still great gifts that the people in your life will love and actually use. That's why this year, Raycon wireless earbuds are the perfect gift for everyone on your list. I use my Raycons all the time, and that is not even kind of an exaggeration. They're so comfortable and have seamless Bluetooth pairing, a noise-isolating fit, and you can start using them as soon as you take them out of the box. Plus, Raycons are half the price of those other guys, and I've tried some other ones, and I think my Raycons are way more comfortable, and the audio quality is out of this world. Whether your gift recipient uses them for taking calls or listening to music, in line at the grocery store, or listening to their favorite podcast, give them a gift that not only will they use, but they will love, making you the holiday gift-giving superstar that you always hoped you'd be. Raycon's being generous for the holidays, so on top of their everyday great prices, they're offering our listeners 15% off right now. Go to buyraycon.com slash momsandmurder today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash momsandmurder. Buyraycon.com slash momsandmurder. Whether you're traveling next month or next year, do it in style and ease with Away Luggage. Away helps you solve real travel problems whenever it is you take that next trip. We all have a trip in mind that we can't wait to be on sometime soon. And while Away can't keep your kids from fighting in the car over the one charger you managed to bring, with Away luggage, the stressful part of the trip won't be packing your things or carrying them around. Because Away suitcases are designed to last a lifetime, with durable exteriors that can withstand even the roughest of baggage handlers, or kids. And if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. Plus, there's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes, so you can travel with it, and if after 100 days you still aren't happy, you can return it. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. One of my favorite features with Away luggage is their interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad. And you know what that means. More room equals bringing more, because choosing between your favorite pair of jeans can sometimes be harder than choosing what snacks to pack. There's also a hidden and removable bag, so gone are the days of guessing what's clean and what's dirty when you get home and being stuck just washing all of it just in case. I just found out that my seven-year-old nephew actually asked for a suitcase for Christmas, and honestly, I can't believe what a great gift that would make for even the adults in my life. You may not use a suitcase every day, but every time you do use it, you'll either be grateful for the away luggage or whispering curse words under your breath with your old stuff. Because not only does away luggage look great, but they have four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll, even whenever you're trying to keep your kids in tow in airports and stations. Plus, away offers both free shipping and free returns on any order that's made within the contiguous U.S., Europe, Australia, and Canada. Shop their selection of suitcases and bags at awaytravel.com slash moms and gift someone something to look forward to this holiday season. That's awaytravel.com slash moms. Now back to the episode. So before the break, the body of Yarmila Filater had just been found in the swimming pool at the home that she shared with her husband, Scott, and their two teenagers. Scott had been found roaming the house in a dazed and confused state and was taken in for questioning, but he really appeared to have no idea what the officers were talking about or how his wife ended up dead in their pool. Detective Norman informed Scott that a neighbor had allegedly watched Scott commit this terrible crime and had been the one to call police that night. So what exactly was going on here? When Scott was pressed for information, he told investigators that he simply didn't remember anything. Meanwhile, back at the Filater home, the details of a gruesome murder were being uncovered. 
Yarmila's body was found to have suffered dozens of stab wounds, actually 44 to be exact, before being thrown into the family pool. As confusing of a scene as it was, police luckily did have an eyewitness that was able to provide a very detailed picture of what may have happened. Greg Coons lived next door to the Flaters and had a partial view into their backyard and through the windows of their home. Also, this reminds me of the way they can see into their neighbor's house. It's such a weird thing. Like, we live fairly close to our neighbors where if I'm outside, I can sometimes hear my neighbor outside. But there's something with, like, being that close to people where you pretend you don't hear each other. (laughs) So I'll be talking to my dog and then I'll hear him talk to his wife or I'll hear him sneeze and I'm like, should I say bless you? I I don't want to feel like I've been listening to your whole conversation. I'm like, oh gosh. So stuff like this always worries me. I'm like, please nobody argue. I don't want to hear anything. I clearly am within, you know, like hearing distance. I don't want to hear anything at all. But I can see like there's different places in different yards near me where I could see somewhat in there. And that's like an uncomfortable place to be in. For something like this, this is so crazy to even see this and then to be like, oh my gosh, am I seeing what I'm seeing? So according to Greg, his neighbor, on this night of January 16th, he was startled by the sound of screaming that was coming from the Filator home. It was late at this point and had been dark for a long time, so this type of screaming sounded very concerning, and so Greg went outside to see if he could figure out exactly what was going on or if maybe someone needed help. What he saw was a real-life nightmare. While he was peering over the fence, Greg watched in horror as Scott repeatedly stabbed Yarmila. He then saw Scott go back inside his house to try to quiet the family dog, and then he changed clothes and returned back to the backyard. When Scott realized that Yarmila was still alive, he allegedly rolled her into the pool and held her head underwater, all while Greg Coons watched from the other side of the fence. I later heard something where Greg Coons basically said, I thought he was pulling her head above the water and then realized, no, he was actually pushing it into the water. Well, it's kind of one of those things, like you said, where you would just be thinking that there's no way you're seeing what, you know, you're not believing what your eyes are seeing. And so I can see how he would be like, what is going on? Is he helping her? Is he hurting her? And just kind of trying to gather. And then it's also dark outside. So you're also trying to figure out like what in the world is going on here? But oh my gosh, how scary that would be to see your neighbor doing something like this. And then like you said, just having to come to the realization like, oh my gosh, yeah, something really bad is going on over here. It'd be much easier to be like, he's holding her head above water than to think, oh my gosh, he's putting her head underwater trying to kill her. Yeah, it would be, I can't even imagine what this does to your brain because Yeah, mine would be absolutely in pure panic mode. I'd be running circles, you know, silently in my head. It's just, that's just so much to take in and to, I just can't believe it, like you were saying. So (laughs) there's nothing more to say there. I really just can't believe it. So at this time, Greg had been at home with his girlfriend when he started hearing these screams that were coming from the Filator's backyard. And so when he goes outside to take a look, he sees Yarmila laying on her side several feet away from the pool and she was still alive and moving. And so that's whenever he continued to observe what was happening and could see Scott going inside the house for several minutes and then coming back out in the backyard. And so Greg watched as Scott stood over Yarmila and looked at her for about one minute before actually rolling her into the pool and holding her head underwater. And so after Yarmila was dead, Scott then put the bloody knife and clothes into a trash bag and that he took that and he put it into a container and put them in the wheel well of his car, which was a Volvo. By the time Scott appeared to be cleaning up after himself and this horrible, horrible, violent crime that he had committed, Greg had already called the police and they were at this point on the way there. 
But what explanation could there possibly be for why the officers who responded to the scene found Scott wandering around aimlessly as if there was nothing wrong? Well, when he was taken to the police station, he told them that he had no idea why he was being interrogated or what happened at his home that night that had led to the death of his wife, Yarmila. And even after the detectives told him that a neighbor had seen him in the act of killing her, he refused to admit that this was true. He apologized and said that, you know, he was really sorry, but he just didn't really remember doing any of what they were saying that he had just done a few hours earlier. While he didn't admit to making a conscious choice to kill his wife, he also did not deny that he had been the one to do it either. He was allegedly caught in the act by the neighbor, and as one officer pointed out to him, Scott was also covered in blood and had somehow managed to bandage up his hands. And that's when Scott dropped this very unusual explanation and told the detectives that he couldn't remember the events of the night because he believed that he had been having a sleepwalking event and that anything he did while sleepwalking, he would not be able to recall now that he was awake. According to Scott, the first thing he remembered when he woke up was that there were police around him and there was lots of noise and people talking and yelling, but he didn't remember anything prior to that except for when he had gone to bed earlier that night, of course, before the attack. It sure seems kind of like, you know, oh, what a likely story. But in this case, it actually had to be considered. And that's because Scott Filater actually did have a history of sleepwalking. Not only that, but police really couldn't find any possible motive for why he would want to hurt Yarmila. According to everybody they spoke to about the couple, they were normal and happy. And as far as anybody knew, the couple was faithful to each other and they had a loving relationship. They didn't have any financial strains and there was no history of abuse or anything like that. The Philaters had a wide circle of friends and acquaintances from church where Scott was heavily involved and even worked as a personal and family counselor and teacher. There were no records of police contact with either of the filators, and they had never been called to the home before. So basically, they're kind of going down this checklist, like, is there anything here that would be like, right. well, maybe we should dig. But every everywhere they turned and every time they talked to somebody, everybody was like, no, absolutely not. We would never see this coming, you know, from this couple. So, of course, now they're like, well, maybe we should look into this sleepwalking, you know, defense that he's giving right. us. When Scott told detectives that he was a lifelong sufferer of sleepwalking and that he even believed that he may have murdered his wife during one of these sleepwalking episodes, they really found it pretty hard to believe. Detective Norman point blank told Scott that he thought he was lying and aggressively told him that he was going to go away for first degree murder. But Scott's sister spoke with the police and told them that her brother had been dealing with sleepwalking since he was just a child. And even more interestingly, Scott had actually attacked his sister in a sleepwalking episode years prior when the two were just kids growing up in Illinois. Seeing her brother up sleepwalking was nothing out of the ordinary, and one night she said she saw him and attempted to wake him up while he was sleepwalking through the house. Scott was startled and became violent and actually threw his sister across the room. Although this sounds and is really terrifying, violence when sleepwalking is actually extremely common. It's thought that 58% of adult sleepwalkers can or have become violent when sleepwalking. In one study, 100 sleepwalkers were evaluated and it was determined that 17% of the violent sleepwalkers were so violent that their bed partners actually needed medical care after being attacked by the sleepwalker. My sister was a sleepwalker as kids. I don't know if I ever told you that. She was big time a sleepwalker, like um, 
I would go to bed at night, we shared a room and I wouldn't say anything. Like I'd have to be totally silent because if you disturbed her at all, she would sit up and just start talking and start pacing and stuff. And you're like, oh, can't do that. And then you, you're told you can't wake them up because they will become I always was told, now this is not true, that you would like, <laughs> this is like an old wives tale that they did to me and eh, I believed it for a long time, that you would keep them in that state forever if you I've heard that them too, up. yeah. <laughs> like that they're just permanently, it's like whenever people tell you don't roll your he- eyes in the back of your head, they'll look right. stuck or they'll swallow gum and it'll be there seven years. So I would never wake my sister up and the only way I could get her to like stop because she would just, her eyes even looked crazy and stuff, is to say, hey, uh, what's your name? And she'd be like, Meg. Megan, what are you talking about? My name's Megan. And then go back to sleep. And I was like, phew, I saved another night. <laughs> but it was crazy. She had one crazy, crazy story. That's the only thing I'll say. But she, we went to a summer camp and she ended up on the second floor, which I don't know why they allowed her to be on the second floor. And if I remember this story correctly, and she could correct me, but she woke up outside her door because she came to my room and she had tried climbing over the side of it and was oh locked my. out of her room and woke up climbing over the side of the second floor. Oh, my thing. gosh. That is terrifying. It's terrifying. Now, I would like to make sure fact check that. And I should have done that before this. But that's how I remember that story going. But it was insane. But she eventually grew out of it. But it was one of those like when she was talking and upset and moving around, you were scared. She was smaller than me. But I was always like, oh, I don't want to make her mad. But it would. Also, it drives you crazy with a sleepwalker or sleep talker. Eventually, you're just like, I can't take this anymore. Just wake <laughs> up, for goodness sakes. But it is like a crazy thing to think of how many people can be violent in their sleep that that aren't typically violent in nature, that are calm, but just something in their brains is going bananas, I guess, whenever they're they're disturbed. I think that's where I was going with that. But <laughs> back to the facts <laughs> of the story. So these violent encounters were found to be mostly caused by people being provoked or being really in close proximity to the person they attacked. So even somebody rolling over in bed, I've heard of that, and slamming their arm against somebody, just crazy things where it's just nothing, you don't know what's going to happen. So research has showed that people who are sleepwalking lack the ability to recognize faces, which I find that to be really fascinating. So it's common for them to attack these people that they know without realizing they're even doing it. It's like facial blindness because you're asleep. So this behavior is thought to be similar to something else that's called confusional arousals, which is a term for what happens to some people when they first wake up and they're in a confused and groggy state. I am uh, My language when I'm woken up in the middle of the night is... It competes with that of a sailor. Like my husband doesn't want to wake me up in the middle of the night. I'm the angriest, meanest person. If you wake me up at like 2 a.m. and it's not a kid, every terrible word that I know just comes out of my mouth. And just, I just cannot imagine. Rapid succession. Ever, yeah. All of them, Mandy. so hard to believe. I just can't believe that. <laughs> my husband will like come. I'll lay in my room, uh, lay in the room with my son at night and he'll come get me. He's like, sometimes he's like, do you remember what you said to me last night? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, Therefore, you would be embarrassed if you heard the words that came out of your mouth. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. That's the moral of the story. So maybe I'll say that this was my excuse. I am a sleepwalker talker. So, yeah. um, they, <laughs> so you might say funny things or terrible things in my case or appear to have no idea where they are are, what's going on, and this is typically seen when someone's awakened from this very deep sleep. So Scott Filater's defense wasn't that he didn't murder his wife, but it was that he had been sleepwalking this whole time and just didn't remember doing it. But of course, this raises a lot of questions when it comes to the plausibility of the whole thing. 
quickly shoving or hitting someone while sleepwalking is one thing, but is it actually possible to brutally stab someone dozens of times while they're screaming for help without waking up? As we said in the beginning of the episode, sleepwalking events generally last less than 10 minutes, but they can sometimes go on for more than 30 minutes before the person either goes back to bed or wakes up on their own. This particular sleepwalking attack is believed to have gone on for over 40 minutes, and according to Scott, he was sleepwalking not just for the murder itself, but also while he hid the evidence and bandaged his own wounds. The neighbor reported that Scott was seen moving through his house, changing his clothes, talking to the dog, and many more things before the police actually arrived at the scene. So it's hard to imagine that he was actually asleep during all of that. So to answer some of their questions, the detectives, of course, have to bring on the help of sleep experts to figure this one out. Officers had to decide whether to believe Scott in his story and feel sympathy for him or to kind of go the other direction and charge him with the crime of murder. Scott was sent for a sleep evaluation and was put on a testing device that showed that he did fit the profile for a sleepwalker. And since he did have documented history of sleepwalking, the question about whether or not he was a sleepwalker really didn't exist. They knew that he was a sleepwalker. He has proof that he has been a sleepwalker all his life. So that part, that part is definitely settled. He definitely is a sleepwalker. So the experts have found that there are several things that can actually trigger or lead to a bout of sleepwalking. And these things include stress, sleep deprivation, and illness. And that sleepwalkers typically do their sleepwalking within three hours of going to sleep. So after speaking to Scott Moore, they learned that he had been under a lot of stress at work that had been affecting his sleep schedule. On the night of the murder, Scott and Yarmila were just hanging out at home, and according to their children, there was nothing out of the ordinary about that evening. Nobody was upset, nobody was arguing, and it was really what they considered just a typical night for the family. Scott talked to Yarmila about the troubles that he'd been having with his job, and he went back and forth to the backyard while trying to fix the pool pump that was broken. Eventually, Yarmila called Scott inside for dinner, and the rest of the evening was pretty typical. As the night wore on, Yarmila watched TV on the couch where she eventually fell asleep and Scott, who, as I said, was having trouble sleeping, stayed up and tried to continue fixing the pool pump. When he was finally ready to lay down for the night, he gently woke up Yarmila and told her goodnight before heading to bed. He claimed that the next thing he remembered was hearing people shouting, dogs barking, and police surrounding him in his house. But one thing was for sure, whether he remembered it or not, he had gotten up from the bed at some point and began attacking his wife. This was certainly going to be a difficult case to resolve, but the investigators believed that it was a job for the courts to figure out. Since there was an eyewitness to the murder and plenty of evidence pointing to the fact that Scott had actually done it, he was arrested and charged in the crime. It would be up to his attorney and the testimony of experts to build his sleepwalking defense and sell it to a jury. The prosecutor on the case was Juan Martinez, and he wasn't buying the defense at all. Did you recognize who Juan Martinez was? I was like, why do I know that name? It was the no. Jody Arias, uh, Jody oh. Arias prosecutor. Oh, yeah. wow. No, I and he actually that. just got disbarred a few months ago. So I wonder how, like, cases he tried, if there's any going back to those. Ah. I sound very uneducated when I say that. But I think that's what Jody Arias' um, attorneys are trying to do now. 
this is me like reading through crime stories in the last month, like half reading stuff. So (laughs) I'm sleepwalking. I'm sleep talking right now. Just ignore me. So he stated early on, though, Juan did, that he felt that this was really a nonsense defense, and he believed that Scott had murdered Yamila in cold blood, and he promised to seek the death penalty if Scott was found guilty. One thing was for sure, and that's when a person is being investigated for a crime such as murder, there's really no stone that goes unturned and no secrets in your life that aren't revealed. As the investigation continued, prosecutors started finding out things about the Philater couple that didn't quite go along with this happy-go-lucky, trouble-free marriage story that most people said that the couple had. In fact, there were some indication that things actually weren't perfect between Yarmila and Scott. It was alleged that Scott had been spending quite a bit of time at church and doing things for the church, and Yarmila didn't like it. Keep in mind, he's working 60 to 70 hours a week, putting in this much extra time at work, and at, and at church, he's probably not going to be at home a lot, and that would be really hard. So she was allegedly wanting to back off from being so heavily involved in the church and had apparently told Scott that she didn't want to have any more children, which was something Scott definitely did want to have and actually felt that he was entitled to. When Yarmila's dedication to their faith started to waver, it began to cause problems within the couple's marriage. If this was true, then that meant that the prosecution actually had a motive to present to the jury. For their case, prosecutors would claim that Scott did have a defining reason to murder his wife and that he planned it out and came up with the sleepwalking defense ahead of time to try and get away with the crime. And there's still so much more that's going to take place in this case, and we will talk about that after one last break to your word from this week's sponsors. The holidays are often a time when people fall off their diets. You've worked so hard, but it's Christmas, and now you want some pie. I get it. I want pie every single moment I'm awake, but what if I told you you could have that pie, get the results you're looking for, plus not be on a diet? Thanks to Noom, you can have it all, plus the pie. Noom is the habit-changing solution that wants to help you learn to develop a new relationship with food, and they do that through personalized courses. And Noom knows you're busy, especially right now, so they just ask for 10 minutes a day to commit to yourself. Noom helps teach you how to look within your own mind to make better decisions for yourself, not to tell you what you can and can't do, which is a lot of what's out there. What I really enjoy are the lessons from Noom because they are so helpful in understanding why I eat the way I eat, and they give me suggestions on how to make some minor adjustments to get the results I'm hoping for. The tone of the program is light and encouraging and keeps you wanting to come back to learn more. I'm not a big scale-based person. I'm a big believer that numbers don't matter. It's really how you feel. And I feel really great, which is my goal in joining Noom. I wanted to be able to make smart choices and not feel like I've fallen off some proverbial wagon and keep going even on days when I'm feeling off or during the holidays. Thanks to the amazing and encouraging Noom community, I'm still going strong several months later and feeling great and capable of making decisions about what I'm eating without obsessing over it. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Ladies, let's face it. For the holidays this year, it's up to a lot of us to be our own Santa. I love my husband and kids, but there is no way they're going to buy me something that I really enjoy unless I lay it out for them. And this year, be like me and do just that with FabFitFun. 
FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box that treats you the way you want to be treated with amazing things like one of my favorite things in this season's box, the Algenis Complete Renewal Eye Balm with vitamin C and green tea extract, helping my eyes look 20 years younger than my kids make me feel. It smells heavenly and feels cool and refreshing going on my skin. It's really everything you want from an eye balm. Speaking of eyes, I'm obsessed with the Aesthetica Liquid Eyeliner. It's a high-impact liquid eyeliner and glides on effortlessly. And even more impressive, it stays put for hours and hours and is now part of my everyday routine. We are on our sixth FabFitFun box, and each one is more exciting than the last. Even though you get to choose from a wide variety of products when you order, it's always a fun surprise when it arrives at your house and you actually unbox it yourself. Plus, FabFitFun is all about showcasing amazing women, which is why this season's box includes 16 female-founded brands. Whether you're just looking for something fun for yourself or you've been too afraid to try a more expensive brand for fear you might not like it, give FabFitFun a try. It's a great way to treat yourself this holiday season while also finding new brands you like. I had heard of Algenis before and wanted to try it, so when I saw it was an option for this season's box, I had to get it, and I'm so glad I did. The price of the box was less than just the Algenis Complete Renewal eye balm on its own. FabFitFun boxes truly have an amazing value and you'll always find lots of things you love. Plus you can get all these seasonal must-haves without ever having to leave the house. Order your winter box today. Sign up now so you can snag amazing products like the Aesthetica Liquid Eyeliner or Algenis Complete Renewal Eye Balm when you customize. Use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Again, use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. And now back to the episode. Before the break, Scott Felater had been charged with murder in the death of his wife, Yarmila. Scott wasn't denying that he had been the one to stab his wife 44 times before drowning her in the family pool, but he insisted that he had done it all while sleepwalking and therefore was not legally responsible for murder. This defense has actually been used before successfully, although it definitely is a rare defense. There are around 70 recorded cases of homicide involving possible sleepwalking. And in some cases, the sleepwalking defense did actually lead to acquittals. But of course, the biggest thing needed is proof that you were actually sleepwalking at the time you committed the murder. In Scott's case, several experts were called by both sides to testify. One of the defense experts named Dr. Roger Broughton was actually a defense expert in another sleepwalking murder case back in 1987, and that case did end up with an acquittal. So, of course, Scott's probably thinking, oh, great, this guy actually has experience here and you know, right. I'm going to be in good hands with this guy. So as we said all along, um, Scott's defense attorneys, they never opposed the fact that Scott had killed Yarmila, but their whole thing was that he should still be found not guilty because of, you know, these circumstances. Scott underwent tests and it was determined that he did fit the profile for a sleepwalker. And not only that, but there were circumstances in his life at the time that could have triggered a sleepwalking episode. Scott had been under so much stress at work, and he really had only been getting about two to three hours of sleep every night. And the kind of problems that he was having at work, they weren't just like, 
you know, little things. Scott was in charge of a lot of really big projects for Motorola. And so they would have, you know, they would get money to complete these things. And it would be like months in advance. I was listening to something Scott was explaining about his job. And so he would have like a six month deadline and they would already have the funding and everything for this project. And so Scott would be under the wire to like actually get this thing done, kind of like getting a loan or having, you know, this money fronted. So the thing that he was working on at this time, it was such a big deal that if he didn't get it done and it wasn't finished, then all of his staff under him, like there would be no like salaries, like he would have to let all these people go and lay them off and like it just was a big nightmare to him and he yes he was very stressed out and he was under a lot of pressure so they were saying that this kind of extreme stress definitely could have contributed to a a sleepwalking episode especially if he wasn't sleeping regularly you know every night and only getting two or three hours of sleep every night and of course I don't know what it's like to only get two or three hours of sleep I know what it's like to have a newborn baby and you kind of feel like you're literally just getting up like every 30 minutes every hour and right. that takes a toll on you. And like the sleep deprivation is a real, real thing, Melissa. I know it's you. It's a know real this. form of torture. It. <laughs> it really is. And um, and so I do sympathize with people who have sleep disorders right. and sleep problems because there is almost nothing worse than not being able to get enough sleep whenever you need to sleep. Like, yeah, it really is one of the most frustrating things that I can think of. So the defense presented the theory that Scott had gone to bed that night completely exhausted, and the last thing on his mind was the pool pump that he was working on. Experts said that earlier on the night of the murder, Scott went to his car to get his tools, where he also kept his hunting knife, and he had a pair of working clothes, you know, that he only used when he was doing working things, you know, just like junk clothes or whatever. And he kept all this stuff in a Tupperware container in the back of his car. I read some source that called it a Tupperware container, but that sounds like a lot of items for like a Tupperware container. Yeah, I was so <laughs> so I don't know if it's like a rubbermaid bin maybe. That makes more sense than Tupperware. That makes more sense. I feel like <laughs> yeah, like Tupperware sounds like <laughs> put a like your leftover container. turkey or your work shirt in there. Either one. <laughs> yeah. So he then worked on the pump until he was so tired that he just had to go to bed and he left his tools and everything still sitting out there next to the pool. The defense's theory was that Scott later got up and began sleepwalking. And while he was sleepwalking, one of the things that he thought he was going to do was to keep fixing the pool pump. So he went back out to the pool while he is still asleep And they said that he picked up his hunting knife and he was using that like a screwdriver trying to fix, you know, the pump. Of course, like we said, people who are sleepwalking do silly things. They don't really know that what they're holding is not the thing that they think they're holding. You know, they just grab something and they don't understand. And this is the defense's theory that he had picked up this knife, thought he was using it like a tool to fix this pool pump. And then they believe that Yarmila came outside and found her husband in the yard and sleepwalking and messing, you know, fidgeting with these things and tried to intervene. And that in his sleepwalking state, Scott became violent at this interruption and he kind of went into this fight or flight mode. And he actually started stabbing Yarmila nearly to death in this attack. As we said, she had suffered 44 stab wounds. But the prosecutors presented a completely different story about what they believe truly happened that night. As we mentioned before, there was some evidence that Scott and Yarmila's marriage wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, when police found her body, she wasn't even wearing her wedding ring, which I don't think is that crazy because I very rarely even wear mine. But I can see how they're looking for every <laughs> every little thing is you know a right. sign of something. 
So there was no evidence to point to any serious marital problems. There's no affairs or abuse or any of those other things that are typically used as a motive for murdering a spouse. But those that were close to the family knew that there had been some minor problems. Yarmila had allegedly made comments to friends about being unhappy in her marriage and said that it wasn't the perfect relationship that everyone thought it was. Since Scott was so deeply devoted to the church, it's understandable that he would have a hard time with the fact that Yarmila was actually wanting to become less involved with the church and wanting to sort of distance herself from the devout lifestyle. Yarmila had also been raised in the Catholic faith, just like Scott had, but while they were engaged, Scott actually spoke with the Church of Jesus Christ missionaries and felt like it was during this time that he was called to convert to that faith. Yarmila was reportedly not thrilled with this idea and nearly broke up with Scott over it. But eventually she came around to the idea and they got married in a traditional Church of Jesus Christ ceremony. But it's obvious during this time that disagreements over religion were a problem that the couple had struggled with really throughout their entire marriage. And this is what the prosecution presented as the motive for the murder. For their case, two theories were presented to the jury. The first was that Scott wasn't sleepwalking at all and that he had carried out this entire premeditated murder while completely conscious and aware that he was doing it. The second theory was that maybe Scott was sleepwalking when he initially attacked Yarmila, but that he awakened at some point and realized what he was doing, but instead of calling for help, he decided to complete the murder by holding Yarmila's head underwater in the pool. One thing was for sure, according to prosecutors and the experts that were called by them, there is no way that Scott would have been able to brutally attack Yarmila while she was screaming in pain and while their dogs were barking without waking him up. That I can see how they could go down that route. That's a lot going on for somebody, even somebody sleepwalking, to not have anything kind of bells going off in their head and waking them up. So although it can be very difficult to wake up a sleepwalker because they're in this deep sleep, loud noises, like we were saying, are enough to really jolt them awake, typically enough to jolt them awake. Further, prosecutors argue that if Scott was truly sleepwalking, he wouldn't have had the thought go through his mind that he needed to conceal this evidence from the murder. The neighbor had told police that Scott was seen washing his hands and quieting his dogs and also hiding the murder weapon, all things that prosecutors say Scott would only do if he were awake and conscious. People who are sleepwalking aren't able to create these new memories, so therefore Scott wouldn't think to hide the evidence unless he was awake. Not to mention that if he were sleepwalking, he wouldn't be aware that he was actually committing a murder, so this idea to hide evidence wouldn't even exist. But the defense insisted that Scott had no good reason to murder his wife, and nothing at all pointed to there being any conflict between them the night that Yarmila was killed. The couple's two children testified in court that the night their mother was stabbed to death was a completely normal night. They said their father never went into a rage when he got angry and that he was always pretty even-tempered, but that wasn't even a factor on the night in question. The family ate dinner together and Scott spoke about his stresses at work and then he worked on his computer on something for the church and then he started to work on the pump for the night but decided that it was too dark and he was going to wait for daylight. Scott himself took the stand and testified for over two hours where he was asked numerous questions about how the details of this event could have possibly taken place the way he claimed it had. Scott painted himself as a mild-mannered family man who was under extreme stress at work and who had let his life become ruled by his career and his faith, but he insisted that Yarmila was his soulmate and that he would never consciously do anything to hurt her. 
Prosecutors continue to hammer home this idea that Scott had to have been conscious during the murder or he wouldn't have done things the way that he did them. They believe that it was Scott's intention to kill his wife and leave her body outside for their kids to find the next morning and then to make it appear as though a stranger had attacked Yarmila while everybody else was asleep. But then when the neighbor caught him in the act and intervened, Scott had to come up with a new story and the prosecution said that's when he decided to use this sleepwalking defense. On the stand, Scott said, quote, I assume that I must have gone crazy or that something in my head had broken, end quote. After hearing from numerous experts on both sides, the jury went to deliberate this very bizarre case. In the end, they believed the prosecution experts more than they believed the defense experts, and they believed that the experts who spoke for the prosecution were right when they said that there was no way Scott wouldn't have woken up when Yarmila was screaming or hearing their dogs barking and all of this other commotion. Some of the jurors believe that it was possible that Scott was sleepwalking at the start of the attack, but that he had not been sleepwalking for the entire thing or when he made the decision to drown Yarmila in the pool. The jury found Scott guilty of murder in June of 1999. Many people who knew Scott wrote letters to the judge asking for leniency and for the judge to sentence Scott to life in prison, but to not give him the death penalty. And among them were Scott's children. They also pleaded with the judge to let their father live his life in prison. And the judge did have sympathy on them and the rest of Scott's family. And he was sentenced to life and sent to an Arizona prison. Since Scott's been in jail, he's been what you might call a good prisoner. Uh, he's kept himself busy by working as a tutor and a library clerk, as well as doing other jobs around the jail. He maintains his innocence and says that he did not intentionally murder his wife, and he hopes that he is allowed to see her in heaven one day. I don't really know what to think about this case. I don't I know, know what your thoughts are. But I just really don't know. I know. So here's where it gets me. I don't think he I don't think it was premeditated no matter what. I don't think that was uh, the case. That's so random. And I don't know. It didn't seem there were no problems that big. They the religion thing. That's been their whole dang marriage. That's right. Nothing new. Nothing seemed really crazy. But it does make sense that he's not sleeping a lot. And the fact that he had been working on the pool that night. That's what really makes me think something happened there. Something his brain was there trying to fix his pump, obsessing about the pump. You know how you get into like a thing with stuff like where you're like focused on that. Maybe like, I don't know, I'm getting into really weird I do, I do. stuff, but where you're just kind of like, if I can just fix this one stupid thing, you know, in your life, like if right. I can have control of this uh -huh. one thing and you're trying to fix that. And if that's the last thing you're thinking about and you're going out there, I don't think it's the craziest theory. I really just don't think it's the craziest theory. I think that's where I, I don't land. either. I don't, I don't either. I don't think it's out of the question. I think no. I do kind of get tripped up a little bit with um, how did he not wake up during the attack or, right. um, you know, I do kind of have some questions there about whether he was sleepwalking for the entire thing, but I do believe that he could have initiated this attack. He could have been sleepwalking whenever it started. Yeah. Um, and people do crazy things. You hear about this all the time where people, and who knows what would go through his mind. Like if he were to wake up and realize that he had stabbed his wife and had done this, um, 
I mean, you hear about people who say, like, I didn't know what to do. I was scared. I didn't right. want to call Panicked. the police. They weren't, you know, thinking, like, the police would never believe this anyway. Right. And, like, I am, I always think that kind of stuff. Like, I'm like, this is the craziest story. No one is going to believe anything that I say. They're going to think right, I right. totally made this up. And so, I mean, I not that I understand, not that it makes it okay to go through with killing. But sure, I sure. can see where people in a panic state, they do crazy things that don't make a lot of sense because – you don't feel like when you're in that state, like you feel like you have to come up with a solution immediately and like make it go away and like fix everything. And sometimes right. you just make even worse decisions and you make the situation even worse. And I feel like yeah. maybe that's could have been what happened in this case. I, I mean, yeah, I can see how the judge, you know, definitely went for the life sentence instead of the death penalty in this case, because I do think there is some gray area in the, it just could be. And then, like you said, now this um, the prosecuting attorney has been disbarred, which I didn't know that until you mentioned that. But I do think that's interesting and would be an interesting thing to kind of watch if this case comes back around and if Scott ends right. up getting an appeal um, because of that and if they find some way to kind of get him back in court and have the case heard again. But, yeah, this was definitely a really interesting case. This was one that you suggested. And it, as soon as you said sleepwalking murder, I was like, yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> like, that's definitely it's always great. like when I'm not sleeping at night, laying next to my son, trying to get him to go to yeah. sleep. I'm like <laughs> rethinking all the murders I've ever heard of, which is not a great way to go to sleep, apparently, because who knows what you'll do. But, yeah, it's one of those that I, like it stays in your mind because you just think, I don't know what to think. The fact that his kids, you know, rallied behind him and even her mom said, please don't give him the death penalty, you know, life in jail, but not the death penalty. I don't know. I take a lot of weight when the um, family, uh, you know, whose mom was killed or whose daughter was killed, when they're saying to show leniency or they're saying, I don't see this, that always holds a lot on me. For whatever reason, I just think I don't want to go against what the family thinks, first of all. But, you know, it's that's that's they lost the person in their life, you know. Right. I, you know, they have every reason to be upset if this, you know, if it's the way they're saying. But the whenever I saw that, whenever I realized who that was, I was like, oh, I wonder if this I want to do a Google alert on this one, because, you know, you're going to see Jody Arias like insane amounts about her because of this, because of him being disbarred. But I'll be oh, interested sure. to see if they relook at this case at all, because, I mean, you just don't know. It seems like such a harsh. I, I just OK, last thing I'll say. <laughs> I don't see, based on what we read, based on the articles we read, all that kind of stuff, how uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, that's where I don't, I don't know that I could say guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in this. Maybe I could if I had everything they had, but based on what we know, I don't know that I could. Yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. But I feel like I think that a lot of times that I feel like there is oh, reasonable yeah. doubt, but you know, it's up to the jury. And if they all agree unanimously, that's all you need. So, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Just a crazy, crazy story. Um, anyway, Melissa, <laughs> um, some of you may have noticed we did not do Google this city at the beginning of the episode. Um, but some of you might have cheered. Thing before we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we're still going to do um, last thing before we go. And I think Melissa has some surprises up you know, for me. Not surprises. I know. Maybe. Well, <laughs> I'm feeling delirious. good. So I'm, I'm still. <laughs> I know you're not feeling great. So I just did kind of a fill in the blank thing. So it doesn't take a lot of brain power from you. And I'll even give you clues. But I just looked up kind of um, funny laws in Phoenix or in Arizona as well as 
crazy news stories like these crazy things just to make us feel better in Florida because you know we get you know the short end of the stick. P.S. Did you see the video this week? And I'm sure other people have seen it of the guy in Florida whose dog got attacked by an alligator and he jumped and he in got the in the water. Yes, with a stogie <laughs> in his mouth and didn't drop it the entire time. Mandy, he pulled the dog out of the gator's mouth and still had his thing hanging out of his mouth, wet, just still smoking it. it. Calm yeah. as can be. Loved it's it. That's a, a good very Florida, man. Florida, yeah, very Florida, Florida <laughs> story. <laughs> the calmest man. His blood pressure is like twelve over four. I've never seen anybody so calm <laughs> with wrestling a gator. So okay, Mandy. So first, I'm going to do a couple. I'll just do like three of the um, weird Phoenix stories. So this is fill in the blank. Let's see what you got. So Phoenix PD burglar caught wearing clothes he stole from a blank. So who did he steal um. clothes from? <laughs> A clown. Oh, I like that. That's well, actually, that could be scary. No, he stole them from a two-year-old. How do you steal what? clothes and wear them from a two-year-old? That's, yeah, that's like not, not draw a great any attention. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that guy's wearing hot pants. I don't. I don't see what's going on here in Arizona. So <laughs> the next one is a cop finds a thief stealing from blank with his blank still inside. Not. This isn't <laughs> Melissa's bad words at the end. I realize now that my blank was probably not good. The blank is not what you think it is. So he's stealing okay, from a blank with his <laughs> – I should have thought this one through – with his blank still inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um. so sorry. <laughs> Melissa, that he's was stealing? woken up in the middle of the night, wrote this. Huh? <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm trying. Um, he's stealing from a, oh my gosh, I have no idea. Okay. How about this? He's stealing from an arcade machine with his blank still inside. (laughs) An arcade. What would you put in an arcade machine to try and get stuff that has a bicep and a tendon and I'm sorry. And, uh, um, what's behind your bicep? Yeah. your, Your arm. Yeah, his arm was still inside, and he was stealing. Um, he was, like, on his knees with a flashlight trying to, what are you going to get from an arcade machine? And when they caught him, his arm was literally stuck in there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, last one. Okay, last one of this. Phoenix squatter demands to speak with blank after arrest, and it is not anyone you would think of. Not attorney, I'll tell you that much. His mom. <laughs> It's a boxer. It's a famous boxer. Mike Tyson? His first name is Floyd. He did not bite anyone's ears. Oh, I don't know the name of any boxer. Last is the fifth month of the year. (laughs) Floyd Mayweather. Okay, I knew that was – I was pushing it. All right, I'll do two of the laws. How about that? All right. (laughs) I should have waited until you got some sleep for these. Here we go. Mandy, this is a good one. If someone is caught stealing blank in Arizona, they must wash oneself with it until it's completely used up. Please let it be if gasoline. You're... Wait, if you're caught stealing <laughs> gasoline, you have to wash yourself with it? Okay, this one I should have told you was pretty simple. This was just soap. But apparently, <laughs> people are stealing gas. Okay, Mandy. All right. I'll say this is the last one. Um, okay, yeah, this one. So when you're being attacked by a burglar or criminal in Arizona, one may only use the same blank as what they're being attacked to, attacked with. Oh, that's easy. I don't even know why I put Weapon? that as a blank. <laughs> yeah, it's 
I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, that's better than your blank in your blank, sticking your blank in something. Okay, that's enough. I don't think we should do this again. Um, what if you're being attacked ever. with like a flower pot or something? Like, Ma'am, find, find a flower pot. Yes, you can't do anything. You have to stay and say, Arizona law gives me one hour to find the same weapon, and then let's go for it, buddy. <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right. That's plenty. All right. Well, I'm so happy that um, we made it through (laughs) Thanksgiving. We made it through whatever month we just had, November. It doesn't matter anymore. Who cares? Yeah, I know. No, I feel like I've been in a fever dream this whole time, but now I'm feeling better, so I'm very happy about that and glad to be back. I think we have another week off coming up soon, so... Couple weeks, it'll be over um, Christmas, thanks or Christmas and New Year's. But I want to try and do something on Patreon. That'll be fun. I have some ideas for you, but we'll have to work them. Yeah, and, awesome. Uh, well, I can't wait to hear them. them. Yeah, they're not great, but you know they're similar to these things. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> you <laughs> might, I might need your input. All right, all right, guys. We will see you next week, same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.